Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. And my guest this month is a regular collaborator with Tolbani over the past 10 years. And she's been a vital part, I think, of uh, changing and challenging our visual aesthetic, how our work looks and how we make it. She's endlessly curious. She's always provocative and supportive and genuinely interested in the process, which I think is, for me, is really crucial. Uh, she's a great designer and uh, theatre maker, and she has just designed our current show, uh, Would You Bet Against Us? Uh, welcome, Sophia Clist. Thank you. Hi, Paul. Hello, Sophia. I should start. We'll, t- we'll come to Would You Bet Against Us a bit later on, but I want to start with it because I know you and I haven't chatted uh, uh, briefly since we kind of opened at the Birmingham Repertory Theatre and uh, had a wonderful run there, but we are now halfway through our community tour of the show, which has been absolutely brilliant. And these very, as you know, you visited all the spaces, but these uh, very particular non-theatre spaces in and around Aston Villa Football Club um, in Birmingham and the audiences and uh, the response has been absolutely wonderful. People saying how much they uh, can relate to the story, both through the football and through me and the puppet of my dad, more of that later, Um, (laughs) uh, puppetry later. uh, and how funny and moving they find it. So it's brilliant. But your set looks fantastic in all of the places we've been. Um, and I thank you again for your brilliant flexibility because sometimes we've had all of the wall and then sometimes we do that a bit of the wall. Oh, and sometimes we've had a floor and sometimes we haven't. But what is brilliant is it kind of works in every space we've been in. At the weekend, we were at um, Aston Villa Academy, which was just like a kind of room, really but it kind of sits there wonderfully. So um, we'll come to that shortly, but I just wanted to pass that on to you. But the first thing I want to do so far is take you right back to your early years. Now, I might be wrong, obviously we've talked a lot in the past, but is your uh, were your early years in uh, the Midlands or were they elsewhere? Yeah, that's right. I grew up in Worcestershire. Correct. So yeah, in the Midlands. And what I know, obviously, theatre came as a later thing, but I just wonder if you can tell us a bit about your first early experiences of theatre. Did you go to the theatre as a family? What sort of things did you see or, or not at all? Yeah, I, I have this recollection of, of um, my mother taking me and my sisters. Every, every year we would go to London where her twin lived and she would take us on a sort of cultural outing which included theatre. So for example, one, one piece I remember, and, and so this would have been um, in the 70s, in the very, very early 70s, I saw at the Mermaid Theatre on the yes. cover. Yeah? yeah. I saw a production of Gulliver's Travels and there was video projection. Wow. I mean, really wow, isn't it? And so, yeah, so when, when they, they, they'd done this amazing video projection, I can't remember any detail about it, just but I just remember no. thinking, remembering that, and thinking that's pretty out there in in the seventies. It makes you so. It makes you think, doesn't it? Sometimes I think we can all feel that as we make theatre, the that in the time we do, that we're very much kind of the innovators of things. But lots of things have kind of happened before or or existed before, and when yeah. you because I remember going to a, probably a similar time to you, but probably less. Um, 
well, not less interesting, but maybe less cutting edge than the Gulliver's Travels. I remember going to a pantomime in Birmingham and I remember a bit where an, an actor went out of the door and then they filmed him running down these stairs and getting in a, a taxi and driving away to the airport and then getting on a plane and arriving. In, and of course it was all filmed, but I thought that is brilliant. And my, and my young mind went, wow, how have they done that? So yes, that's, that is uh, revealing. But um, there was no theatre in your family or, or performance in your family in any way? Or? Um, not, 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 not performance, no. I mean, you know, art of different sorts, but but um, not. What was the what was the art of different sorts? Well, my like my my grandpa was an architect, and my oh, wow. other grand great grandfather was a painter. So it was kind of in there, but um, hadn't hadn't. Come, and my my mother was, um, um, but her family were big kind of into music and playing. So ah, yeah, so play, you grew up with, yeah, in that music. kind of world. So was what was your kind of early experiences of of art then in terms of you making stuff or or as a child did you make things or paint things or create things or I remember I remember drawing quite a lot and making pictures and strange little things for, for people <laughs> um oh and I remember making a down at the end of our garden that, that there was a quarry on the other side of it like so the hill was being eaten up by this quarry and there was a tiny quarry like the remains of a tiny quarry like a little a little sounds mad like a little cliff like the side that you know the height of a house and i remember going and making a crocodile out of bits of rock with my little sister and giving it to my father for his so that the sculptor in me was <laughs> how, how old were you then i was probably well she would have been to, i was probably about 10 maybe 10 oh, or 11 like and picking was... found shapes you know so yeah you know from a from a, a, a that's that's quite that yeah, is quite that's quite interesting I, I can you know you think of kids drawing something but to actually go and create that from something physical that's quite uh and did you know had you, had you seen sculpture you know at that point or i i wouldn't think no no and i've got no recollection then so it was very intuitive i guess it was very intuitive mm. yeah just to, to do that so what about at school? Was art very important to you at school? Or did it become important to you at school? It was, you know, I was always um, very much into, into, I was a bit of a, of a annoying all round sort of person, but I, but art was one of my favourite subjects. And we did life drawing, which was wow. really extraordinary. Not, I hasten to add, no naked bodies. No, no, no. <laughs> but the actual, you know, drawing from the figure. Yeah. Um, so that was quite, quite something that to, to have that as a as a teenager um and a particular yeah. teacher inspire you or yeah my art teacher looked like um there's a very famous painting called the betrothal of 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 um arnold feeney and it's and my art teacher looked like the night we all used to say it's mr parts <laughs> <laughs> in the paint as he was showing it to us in our art history at a level it's well, like that's, he's in uh, the on, painting <laughs> on a side note I always wondered who Arnold Feeney was, because there's a venue in Brighton called the Arnold Feeney, which was a kind of arty, experimental venue. And it was Arnold Feeney an actual person. Oh, God, yes. But I mean, don't ask me for any more detail. I'd have to I'd have to look it up. Or no, no. Gombrich's story of art, you know, the Bible yes, of art yeah. history at that time. He must be somebody, because I remember that name always intrigued me in Brighton. I thought, why is that right. venue called the Arnold Feeney? I will get our our team of brilliant researchers and producers to look that up. So that yeah, can, absolutely. That can be noted. Um, but he tried then, to put me off going to art school. He said, you know, art, he said uh, art is is 1% uh, inspiration, 99% perspiration. 
Okay. Okay. I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> thing, isn't it? It, it? As we'll come to this as well, the fact that y you and I are still doing something uh, like this, you know, as, as what we do. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I like to figure that percentage being slightly different, but it's interesting yeah. of, uh, looking at it like that. But um, so um, you you obviously went through school. You did A levels. Did you go straight to art school or to university? How did all that work? I I um I went to art school in Exeter. Well, I went to local local. You generally visual art training you know do a foundation course yeah. first because you've you, you know nothing you know you've learned nothing very little in any kind of art at school um and then i went on to do a fine art degree at exeter college of art which no longer exists it's part of um plymouth now plymouth uni um and, an open fine art course which incorporated all sorts of you know painting and sculpture and printmaking photography film video kind of performance live art sort of yeah thing. but I fell straight into sculpture and that was I think that the making of that crocodile <laughs> <laughs> stayed with you exactly. a very three very three-dimensional brain I think yeah yeah no, that, so. that's that's clear to me and, and brilliant for our work but that's interesting so uh, and what's that is that three years two years three years yeah okay so four years yeah four years you know because of the foundation as well. Yeah. Now, obviously, I I, um, I touch on this in our in, in my our, our autobiographical show. Would you bet against us? My 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 mother, in particular, slight reluctance towards me entering the world of show business. What was the reaction of your of your family to going to art school? Presumably, people had been there before, so it was a bit more. There was a context for it. You'd think so, but no, they they were. I think they were a bit horrified okay. because I was also quite academic, apparently. Ah. Um, so they expected me. I did. I did languages. So they. I was one minute. I was. I was thinking. Oh yeah, I'm going to go and do French and Spanish at university. And yeah. unfortunately, I didn't get. You know, I was. My estimates weren't good enough. Thank God. And then I decided I wanted to go to art school. And they were. There was a kind of like. Ah. Oh, no, right. we weren't. Yeah. We weren't hoping for that sort of <laughs> outcome. <laughs> So, or that that's going that promises to be really difficult kind of yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> fear and when you were at art school um we're doing the fine art thing did you encounter you talked about performance art more but you didn't in, encounter any kind of theatre design in a formal way at all that wasn't part of what you were doing no not at all not at all and I think I was very I was very locked into um I, I don't think I got very far when I was actually at college it took me a long time to kind of get away from my narrow you know school education and and background in a sense and 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 get a bit looser and more creative so i didn't i mean for example i did i was studying near dartington i didn't even know of dartington's existence if i had mm. maybe no i'd probably been too terrified but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah um no i didn't uh, discover performance at all yeah. that, that came very much later but it's interesting when you say about that thing of, of, of the kind of uh, the confines of an education one has had and then arriving at a place that hopefully is quite creative, like your art school or, or me at Middlesex Poly. I, I think some of the biggest thing for me was about meeting people who thought differently or had very different lives. Or, and I'm sure it's the same for lots of people when they go away to university or whatever, but it was meeting people like Hayley who felt very different to me and, and being taught by John that made me go oh okay then 
and it released something in me, but also opened my my mind a bit more. And and have you still got friends from those days at art school? I don't. I don't. Which is oh no, hang on a minute. I've got a a couple of people. No, I'm not really in touch with people from art school. Everyone just kind of went there no. different ways. Yeah, and I think, but I think that's a reflection on. I mean, I I I think it took it took me on the beginning of a journey of of exploding the world as I knew it, which was, you know, quite in a way quite confined and very very. No, um, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but I think I think yeah, it's like a, for me it was a, a slow burn journey, if you like. I, I think to really find my creativity. For example, when I when I was at, at art school, the work the kind of work I made was very figurative, which was considered very traditional. Um, and and I realised only when I'd left that I did something. I did something which. Um, I think I, I was asked to do a slideshow of my work and I did it and I, and I suddenly saw it all unfolding in front of me and realised that I was interested in in creating environments for people to occupy, not not the actual people. And that completely, that was the moment where, where everything kind of exploded into something more interesting. And so consequently making theatre or, or in my own work, tending to make installations that people actually inhabited. Yeah. And inhabit and take yeah. and, and yeah that's interesting because obviously I, I i at my first encounter with you and your work was some of the wonderful wonderful shows you did for theater rights and um i think one of the things that i always loved about it was the fact that it it didn't appear like conventional theater design Do you know what i mean it was it, even before i met you got to know you it didn't feel like it, it, it came from a necessarily formal theatre design background you know what I mean it it, 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 it was it, it had a playfulness and a sense of like you say of people inhabiting that world which obviously we'd always even when we'd worked with our long time previous uh, collaborator Naomi Wilkinson she, in a different way she, Naomi also had that sense of creating uh, habitats for us to be in and and people uh, enabling us to pl play and provoke us so uh, how did you first kind of what was your first kind of performative piece that you did in a, in a sense? I won't say theatre, but whatever. What was the first time you did something where was with your work? Um, well, in 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 my own independent work, rather yeah. than in, um, I think it well, it was clear it, it, working in theatre and and Penny Bernand, who founded Theatre Rights. You know, she came from a, she her background was in fine art, as was Naomi's. Yes. Um and. Uh, and and theatre rights deliberately uh, worked with people who who didn't come from you know theatre making um, practice necessarily, and it had a huge impact on what I did in the studio because I was bored rigid of making this figurative work, and then I suddenly found myself in spaces with people creating objects or environments for for people to occupy, but both performers and audience, and and it had a, a huge huge impact on my own work, and I made. I made a piece which I I would I still return to called stretch, which is like a wall of elastic that makes sound when you touch it, and that um, so you could encounter it in a space, and bring it to life because you touch it and it responds to you, which was the 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 concept at the heart of it when I first made it in my studio. But also a performer can perform in it, and the audience ends up sort of performing mm -hmm. in it, and then we use it for workshops and stuff. So yeah. It, 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 absolutely seismic influence working in in theatre well it's interesting because obviously you've done I'll talk about some of the shows that we've done together shortly but you've not only worked with us you've worked with some 
some of the kind of leading theatre makers, Emma Rice, Improbable Theatre Rights. Is there any point, and this might be more of a question about some of the things that are, are asked of designers within a theatre context, you know, the, 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 some of the practical, practical things that are asked. Have you ever had any moments when you've been in a kind of production meeting or, or making things where you think, oh, I regret not doing any kind of formal theatre design training or, or have you, has it never crossed your mind? You thought, I, I am what I am. No, I, I mean, I, I, every time, we, because I actually don't get, I have worked with some brilliant theatre makers, your, yourselves included, and I, I feel incredibly lucky. But every time I do it, because it, it, it's not, I'm not working all the time making theatre. So every time I do it, I feel like I, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know any of the rules. And I forget terms. So I'll be there kind of going, it's not just an age thing. It's like, I, did, I forgot what that's called. So, um, yeah, I feel almost wholly unqualified. And then I kind of, catch myself do a bit of deep breathing and I think you know what you're doing come on I think Stop that's yeah. and trust you know trust you and I think I'm I I'm very instinctive and I need to trust that and we've had conversations about yeah. that that kind I of hope, I can really relate to that I can really relate to that because I don't I you know this I passionately believe that changing your mind not knowing where you're heading can be a really confident place to be and we equate it too often with thinking, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. It's not the same thing at all. I think constant inquiry and curiosity and, and the ability to change and not know can be a very confident place to be as well. And, um, Absolutely. I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking that, that I think that there's, there's an aspect of that that is inherent in, in, a, in a fine art training is that all you're doing all the time is creating a problem that you solve making a piece of work that leads you to another problem. And I'm sure you would say the same thing about, about, yeah. about theatre. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. But I also have seen you, which I think is a, is a real skill, and I think it really helps our process, is you're very good in a team, whatever that team is, whether it's a team of actors or, 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 or designers, directors, whatever. But also, I think, the kind of hands-on nature, maybe because you make a lot of things, starting with that crocodile all those years ago. I think that hands-onness, I think, gives people confidence, particularly maybe technical teams and people who are making stuff. I think they get confidence from starting, like, oh, okay, she's doing it. She's she's here making that thing, rather than just giving instruction. Do you, do, do you think there's anything in that? Uh, yes, yeah, I do, actually, because I always, I, I, I think that, I need to, I mean, partly I need to make it clear to people. And so, so like working at the rep, um, you know, there's an incredibly competent team of people making. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, not, it's very visible when you're actually in a building. It's a real privilege, actually, to, to, to have that whole team around you. Yeah, a lot of and, skill. And, and I do, and they do, like, they know that I'm quite skillful and, and they do, they did seem to, to enjoy that rather than it be a problem. So I kind of think that is good. I mean, you can't, and then you have to be quite careful with it because I don't make all the time. So there's that, there's that balance of respecting that they really know what they're doing because they're doing it all the time. But I can have an idea and pitch it in there. And, 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 and I think the being hands-on is, is an asset, definitely. And, yeah. and it helps me develop. I mean, it's how I work. I process things by trying them out like you do on the, you know, on the yeah. floor. Um, and it's a very valuable part of how I how I design I think and I love the team thing I mean I really love being in the yeah team. no I and I think that's um that's apparent and I, I and and as you know it's at the heart of what we do is is collaboration and a team a team of people um 
obviously your first show for us sort of 11 years ago now um, and the horse you rode in on which was a show I'm terribly fond of when I look back on it uh, I think to combine a kind of level of anarchy with a kind of uh, uh, something that was for us quite political in a way what we were doing mm. um, but the, the way you responded to recreating a strange expressionist version of uh, of the Grace Brothers department store from Are You Being Served when two members of the Bard of Minoff gang would come in I, I sensed very early on you were a perfect designer for us because you didn't really bat an eyelid even if I, I imagine some of it wasn't necessarily on, on, on your cultural radar. You threw yourself into this 1970 sitcom with uh, with real uh, gusto, and I think that's that that's important because our work very consciously switches between something that might be considered more uh, 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 the more uh, I don't want to say highbrow. There is no brow, as, as Simon Armitage says, no brow. But we deliberately mix whether it's you know in that show we mix the work of uh, uh, Dario Foe or Alfred Hitchcock with Bugs Bunny and it's a very deliberate thing that we're playing with and I think your design did that fantastically but a show which we still do 10 years on and I think has been for me one of your most wonderful designs was when we, you did Get Happy for us and I remember saying to you this is a show that's come out of me watching my two-year-old son play and I said it's just about play there's no story it's just about and it is inspired by some things like Pina Bausch and the movement and Tyler Chaplin, Dr. Zeus, but you were kind of brilliant in realising an environment for the whole thing. And I remember that first um, time we did it at the Barbican where the kids and the parents came through that extraordinary tunnel of silk that you'd created and then into that extraordinary circle. And, and uh, I, I, I get enormous pleasure from the fact that that is still going in China, in Luxembourg, where we do it. it uh, I just think how what was your starting I know you were in the room with us but what was your starting point when you don't have much to start on I didn't give you a lot to start on no, with that no that was that was what was so amazing about about that process is that is that there was no story so there, so I just remember thinking I need just need something to hold on to and I thought we 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 decided quite early on that we wanted to do it in the round we had a yeah. big conversation about it it was um and that and that gave me and I thought they're they're around things they're around <laughs> we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be in the round um, the audience is going to be in the round there's an there's an egg sandwich there's an egg sandwich there's a paddling pool and they were all round and I thought that's it so I so I thought well, so what else is round so the world is round um, a compass is round a clock is round. Um, and so I piled all these images on top of each other and, uh, and, and made the very first um, painted, the very first floor I think I'd ever designed and, and painted. That's right, that's right, because I remember saying to you in theatre terms, having, uh, in the round is my favourite configuration to make anything and we've done some shows at the Royal Exchange in the round and it feels to me that the floor becomes very crucial when you're in the round in, in, in terms of what the world is and what the design is and, and the focus that is thrown onto the floor because your floor was extraordinary, the detail of the floor was amazing. Well I did it, it literally I drew it, I drew it you know pen and ink and then and then painted colour it so yeah it was it was absolutely a drawing that we that we blew up I mean blowing things up doesn't always work but it it certainly did in that instance and then when it when it went to China do you remember when it 
from the Barbican with an audience of about 120 to a theatre that could potentially seat 1,200 people. And I, yeah. I remember saying to you, um, well, nobody's, you know, mo most of the audience are not actually going to see the floor. So we need to do something to, to take the design yeah. up into the, uh, yeah. So we ended up taking drawings, parts of the drawings up into yeah. these silks. And these silks, amazing yeah. silks. And, and also that was fantastic because it, it kind of tapped into something that, that sat very comfortably within that space. And I suppose this, that brings me to my next thing is, is your brilliant adaptability. I mentioned the community tour. And obviously when there were certain things we wanted to do when we made uh, Would You Bet Against It, one of which was to follow the Arts Council Green Book, which I refer to in the show itself as a, in a slightly comedic way, but we're, 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 we're very committed to that. And you brilliantly with Jen, our producer and, and the team threw yourself into that. Um, what was it like? I, I, we never, I never really asked you that. What was it like designing something where you're following something like that? I should say, obviously, the Green Book is, so people who are listening, it's, it's a new initiative from the Arts Council, which is basically about sustainability, which is very important, and how can we, you know, create things from things that exist. And, but but what, was, what was it like doing it? I've never really asked you. Was it, was it really challenging? Or? Well, I, I, I didn't find it really challenging. I just thought as long as, um, I mean, I never got down to the nitty gritty of exactly what we were aiming at but it was just like what clearly we we've got to get into the we need to have as much of the set made of reclaimed material as possible which it was you know the whole structure for the wall was yeah. and the floor was and um and then the excitement of going into the prop store of uh the of of um the rep and and just finding things you thought oh we needed a bench that's it that's the perfect example because we <laughs> We needed a bench to be the um, the suds bench, and I found uh, this really kind of very fancy gilt legged velvet covered um, yeah. bench, and I thought I'll just try that on Paul. Sent you a picture, love it. It's like yes. perfect. <laughs> and also it suddenly, like, it was like, like the... accidental aesthetic emerged, and that amazing chair. So yeah, and it, and it all had this very royal, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think. I, I, I always loved what you brought in because A, they it captured the kind of juxtaposition that was going on in the piece as well. So it reflected that. Um, if you were, because obviously this is going to be something which remains and it's a very good thing and more and more people will do it. Um, what would be your tips to a designer who was encountering designing something from the Green Book for the first time like you did? If you're going to give any tips to a, a younger designer who's suddenly going down that route, what would you say? Um, I think that the, the thing that really stuck with me is that it surprised me how, you know, you could look at it as, as being quite confining, but actually it, it, it kept you, it kept me on my creative toes because it, you ended up finding yourself making a choice that you weren't necessarily 100% sure of and then suddenly it, it reached into something else you know you, you it, it provided another idea that you weren't even thinking about like we had this I referred to it as the um the three-piece three <laughs> suite because we had the you know the chair and what was the third thing we had the chair and oh and and the piano stool eventually yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the subs bench and they were this sort of marvelous three-piece suite very smart yeah. very very smart um, yeah, so I think it's surprising what it can give you. There's no such thing as a limitation. Well, we all know that limitations are actually... Exactly. Restriction is a good thing. Restriction is a good thing. Yeah, it no, makes you I, think hard. I think that was... I, I, I totally agree. I mean, all of our work comes out of some form of restriction. And I think 
that's all it is in a sense. And when you embrace that restriction, you're, it, it's going to come up mm. with something interesting, isn't it? What about the, um, uh, the, 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 you have a design, which is wonderful. And then we go, okay, we're now going to try and fit it into these community centers, which um, uh, require, to, it, I suppose what I, what I, you were always wonderfully uh, unprecious about it. There was always a sense that there was not, which is not to be confused with going, oh, I don't mind what you do. I just mean, there was a sense where you were, it felt to me, you were always up for the challenge and going, okay, what can we do to it? But, but how did that feel, Sydney, your step going in and, well, is this bit um, of it or that bit of it? Or? <laughs> I think, you know, if, if I could choose, it's a bit like, get, get happy, I've told you, I miss, I miss, Yes. Sure. Because if you if you haven't got your set, then um, then you know you have you have your aesthetic is still in there. Mm. But but you know a lot of what you've done is 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 taken is taken away. Um, but then that reflects how the works the, the work still stands up. And I and I laughingly slightly fearfully joke now that the first thing that will go from making theatre is the set. You know, no, I, hard time. I really well. I think I think that's. That. A I think that's an interesting question you raise, Sophia, I think, because my sadness in the times that we're in is when times are hard, is the visual aesthetic, you're right, is often something that gets reduced. So you end up with something where, where you go, well, actually, this is, this is just the performer in a space now. And, I, and, I, and I, I think that's something that we have to fight for, even though I'm, I might sound contradictory that I'm saying, oh, I, we have to embrace the space that is people often say to us oh how did you find all of that extraordinary physical language in your shows on when you're in on the set and i go well because we've collaborated from the designer at the earliest point mm. in the process and the set has been in the room with us for six weeks if you if we get it for our technical rehearsal then we'll just end up standing in front of it but if we have it in the room and i think I, th I think you're right, it is a concern, but I think hopefully there will be enough people who value design and the visual side of what they're doing who will keep insisting on that as, as a crucial part of how you tell stories and make theatre. Yeah, I, I, I hope so too. But I also think it, it, it just causes it to transform. And, and in fact, where, where, where I started working with theatreites, a lot of the stuff that I designed were objects that transformed in front of your eyes so I, you know I, I i like creating objects that that move or that open out or close or something like that so there's always a way and of course a, a visual aesthetic is really important if you haven't even if you haven't got a set in yes the of course or outside you know if there isn't totally a agree aesthetic. and also i think maybe that's also something that drew me to you and 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 and, and re remains something that I love collaborating with because we've always been interested in the notion of transformation in in the in the mm. biggest sense whatever that means we're constantly transforming through what we do through what we touch through what we hold through what we're on and i think that's uh, that enables you hopefully to inhabit worlds that are really unpredictable surprising um uh, uh, and um and I think you, you're brilliant at that. And that passion for that sort of transformation, beginning, with, as I think, with the crocodile in the quarry, um, as uh, long may it continue. <laughs> Sophia, thank you so much. Now, um, I'm, uh, I'm going to see you again uh, very shortly when we meet at the Love Supreme Jazz Festival, which will be yeah. lovely. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in the next few days. But thank you so much for joining me, Sophia, this morning.
and uh, I will see you very soon. Thank you. You're not going to. You're not going to ask me these five quick. Five no, no, questions. I'm not going to do any. You don't, you don't have. Can I to say? Can I say one one more thing? Yes, so of, course. You, you of could, course. Is is the thing that I most? If you'd asked me what a regret was. Oh yeah. I've only because I've only listened to a few of these podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, I I I envy artists who who um, meet somebody who they then make work with. You know, like you met Haley. Oh, I see. Yeah, and yeah. John, and I really, I think maybe that's part of the reason why I love, I love being in the room. Is that thing, I, the joy of having collaborators, and that's the that's the thing I I I I miss. I think in my own creative journey is that I didn't meet someone who I could then make you know make something of right from the outset. I would love would have loved. That's that. in, that's a bit that's interesting. And as, as you say, you love being in the room and. And it's something that I really, really value because that is that is chance, you know, me going to that particular place, yeah. somewhat, re somewhat reluctantly because I didn't get into one of the established drama schools. I went somewhat reluctantly and slightly sniffily to Middlesex Polytechnic. Um, but what did I know? And then I went there and I met Hayley and John and my life changed. And I think yeah. I'm very, very Maybe. fortunate that that for that to happen. So I think. I, I think the the best next place is regular teams of collaborators that you like, and you've always got a place Absolutely. in our room. And I think that's that's the next best thing. But no, I'm shaking up my, at the end of my podcast. So I won't. I feel it. I don't want to get too predictable. Um, <laughs> but, but Sophia, thank you so much. I'll, lovely. I'll see you in a week or so. Take thank care. you. See you then. Bye. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this idiot podcast, please. Spread the word 